Welcome to Eau Claire is Here, your place to find out a little bit more about the people, places, and happenings going on in the best little city in Wisconsin. Now introducing your hosts, Jane Seymour Kunick and Jerry Annis. Hello, welcome to another podcast and episode of Eau Claire is Here, and you should be too. I'm Jerry Annis. I'm Jane Seymour Kunick. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well, and you? Good. I was just thinking about, you know, how much our lives have changed with all the safer in place things, and mostly curious about what is going to change forever when mm-hmm. we finally <clears throat> go back. back to mm-hmm. some sort of normal. But in this current state we're in, what what do you miss the most? Oh, <clears throat> quite a few things. But <clears throat> I know in this current state, what has happened? I've gained some weight. Mm-hmm. Get in line. <laughs> yeah, just like everybody. I, you know, I think the thing I miss, like everybody, certainly in socializing, you know, getting out. We're, we're getting out, but it's still that distancing. But I miss Friday fish fries. Yes. You know, and, and that's just, it's been such a tradition. And if you can go back to it, won't you have, like, this new appreciation? Oh, yeah. I get to go have some fish I mean, that's in a restaurant. <laughs> Well, and, and even now, you know, when we have to go to the grocery store, it's like, that's a treat. Right. So you get to get out in the public and right. go. And, right. um, but yeah, I miss certainly the fish fries, socializing, getting out. And this is kind of a weird one, but I miss playing pinball at the joint. There you go. Because <laughs> that's a cool little spot, and I love that. But uh, how about you? I for sure miss seeing my grandchildren, mm-hmm. especially my mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I was sitting on their deck yesterday with my sister Gail and our masks on and far apart, Mm -hmm. but they just loved us being there so much, and if there was even a lull in the conversation, they would say something, because they didn't want us to leave. (laughs) You're not going yet, No. (laughs) Okay. And I said to them how much I appreciate that they appear to be happy and healthy and I appreciate even if they're not that they give me that impression because Mm -hmm. they have not come out of their house so I appreciate that they have a smile on their face because that makes it easier if I take relationships and family Mm -hmm. aside I for sure have to say my hair going great (laughs) and going to a restaurant mm-hmm. it's like my favorite thing to do is to yeah, go to eat i know i mean that winding down the week that's the treat that's the little carrot mm-hmm. all week say all friday we get to to go out and mm-hmm. my hair is the same you know extremely gray but <laughs> i got this massive comb over <laughs> yeah well we'll get there so. yeah and i think again just being able to go to the beauty shop will have a whole new appreciation. Mm-hmm. I think everything we do, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Well, we gain all those some little things for granted. Right. Now we get to to do that again. Right. So, and, and once again, you answered so well and correctly, and I didn't even say anything. I miss my family. <laughs> <laughs> I miss my family. So today, Scott is going to do an interview with a hip no. Therapist, hmm. hypnotherapist. Well, that should be interesting. 
Hypnotherapist. Have you ever been? I I have been hypnotized. Did you divulge anything good? <laughs> Scott and I were in Las Vegas just this past year for my birthday in a, in a seminar that we went to that a hypnotherapist, I don't know if he's a hypnotherapist, but he's a hypnotist, uh, had a little weekend thing about how much your subconscious plays a role in your life and how to maybe get more connected with it. But he started out the weekend with doing a show and we had seen him do a show before, so I was comfortable with him because I had seen the show. But he asked for volunteers, and I had said to Scott, if he asks for volunteers, I'm going to volunteer. So I oh put my hand up, and Brave. I went up on the stage. And one of the other reasons I did it is because when we saw him the first time, I wasn't up on the stage, but he said in the audience, if you want to try to be hypnotized and I kind of went under so I was like I can do this you know so I get up on stage and he puts you know there's like 15 of us up there puts us all under and what he told my subconscious to do is every time he did something I don't know if it was touch his nose or mm -hmm. something I was supposed to play patty cake with the, the girl next to me mm -hmm. and so I felt like I was aware of what was going on but it was in a foggy state so when he would do this I would turn and start patty caking with this person I didn't know and then I would stop and and then Scott was in the audience so he got to see the perspective and hear the perspective of what he was saying about me because at one point then I started patty caking with the person next to me on the other side mm -hmm. And he, you know, was like, who's with this girl? Points to me, and Scott's like, I am. And he said... She's mine. He said, you know, what is she like? He said, because with her patty caking with the person that she wasn't told to patty cake, it's like she doesn't want that person to be left out. Uh, and Scott was like, yeah, that, she's <laughs> that's <mine>. her. <laughs> That's Jean. That's Mima. So, anyways, when it when it got all done, you know, I could remember some things, mm. and it's amazing what you could get some people to do. I'm thankful I was only patty caking because oh some of the people were, you oh, know. I know, you're so brave. I would never ever do that <laughs> because I always a little part of me thinks this guy's going to get in there and oh. pull some pretty crazy crap out of my head. Right. I would always or put something in it. Oh yeah, I, I would just be so afraid to do that. But the way you explained it, it kind of sounded like yes, we're medicated that feeling. Right. And again, the the easy part about it was that I had seen him do this before, so mm -hmm. I was comfortable with him. And yeah. anyways, but it was interesting. And then the rest of the weekend we spent doing exercises and hearing about you know how much the subconscious plays such a big role. Yeah. So. That was one reason Scott wanted to interview Rich, so let's yeah. hear Scott's interview with Rich. Sounds good. I'm really excited to bring on our next guest, Eau Claire is here, you should be too. He's had a positive influence on my life. He's a great man, and I think the story that he's about to share with you and the impact he's made on others hopefully will 
make a positive impact on some of you out there. Richard Morano is a hypnotherapist. He has his own place right downtown Eau Claire. I first met Rich when I was interested in learning more about the benefits that he could provide. I was dealing with some anxiety and some depression, and he helped me work through some of that. And there's many amazing things that he can do. And uh, I'm going to let him tell you more about that. Thanks for joining us today, Richard. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Why don't you tell me about first how you got to Eau Claire and a little bit about your backstory? Well, uh, not too fascinating. I grew up in the Bronx, New York. When I was 18, I wanted to be a gym teacher and a health teacher. Lacrosse, Wisconsin had and still does have a very nationally renowned program for that. And when I came out to visit, I fell in love with the countryside and the people. And it was a good move for me. I became a gym teacher and a health teacher. I lost my wife when I was 25. She was 26, 11 days after our son was born. I adopted my three-year-old girl and was taking care of the kids for a few years as a teacher here. And at some point felt like it was time to get back home. My parents are still alive. And I did. And I ran into uh, a beautiful job, a career for 17 years. I ran three large boys and girls clubs in New Rochelle, New York. And it wasn't until my children got older, relocated, my daughter came out to visit a cousin, found someone she fell in love with, got married, had a baby, had a second baby, and I just didn't want to be in New York and have the kids out here. So I came out with no car, no job, no uh, place to live, and I haven't had this smile off my face for uh, 20 years now. You said you lost your wife at a young age. That's one of the hardest things that could happen besides losing a child. Do you want to talk about that and how, how you overcame that? And some um, Obviously, you were challenged and have had to grow in a lot. Well, uh, I can talk about that, sure. She happened to be pregnant, of course. She was six months pregnant, uh, five and a half months pregnant when this all hit the fan. Uh, she got a little bit of an asthma attack, which she hadn't had since she was a real young person. Uh, the doctor said, you know what, she's pregnant, she's got asthma, it's late at night, let's just keep her overnight, and we thought that was a good idea. The next day, the uh, she developed a little pneumonia, so they wanted to keep her in the hospital again. The next day, the pneumonia was getting much worse, so on day four, we said, no offense, but we're going to go to La Crosse, the bigger hospital, and when we got there, things didn't get better, they got worse. Her breathing stopped, and she's on a, a ventilator uh, to keep her breathing going. Her kidneys failed, so she was on dialysis 24-7. It was a god-awful scene. And then she slipped into a coma. And during that three-week coma, out of nowhere, she delivers our son. When my mom, my mom came out for a week or two, I can't remember exactly, to help me get started. Learn how to you know, make bottles and clean bottles and, and all that good old stuff. And on the last day when she was going to leave, I remember breaking down significantly in her arms. And the advice she gave me was good advice, and I pass this along to people quite often. She said, at this point, Richard, this is real scary to you. It's unknown. You've not done it before. It's more than most people should have to do. She said, take my word for it. These things are going to become routine for you, you know, being sleep-deprived, working a full-time job, and taking care of two kids, and all the stuff that goes with it, the bottles and the chores and the this and the that. She said, Routine will be your friend. These things will all become rather routine where they're not right now. They're new, they're scary, they're unknown. And she was quite right. In no time at all, they became routine. 
and therefore I was able to not worry about this anymore, and I was focused on how what a joy it was to have to clean diapers and make bottles and have sleepless nights. So I, I, I say to your listeners, with things that are coming up that are unknown and scary, they will become routine, most of them, and that has a way of helping. So I guess the bottom line is to be patient, not have to know exactly what next month or next year or 10 years from now looks like. Live in the present moment, be forgiving, be grateful, and these are the main tenets of life. If people can be patient and forgiving and in the moment, uh, they'll be fine. Rich, how did you get into hypnosis? Well, I was fascinated by it in college. I had seen a lecture. I was part of a demonstration. I thoroughly read about it, saw some hypnosis shows, which is not what I do, of course. And then, you know, life goes on. I graduated, got married, became a teacher. When I moved back out here, I got a wonderful job running the statewide volunteer department of the AIDS Resource Center of Wisconsin. But after two and a half or so years, uh, budget cuts, I lost that position, and I found myself having to do something. And I remember that people make a nice living doing this in that you get to help people all the time. And there was a nice school in Chicago nearby, and I decided to give it a shot. And for 18 years now, it's been just a, a joy and a privilege. Well, that's awesome. What are some of the misconceptions of hypnotism? Yeah, people think in hypnosis that you might be knocked out or you're unconscious and not knowing what's going on around you. You might lose control. None of these things are so. A person is always awake, always aware. It's actually a super heightened state of awareness because you're not really thinking about anything else. It's very comfortable while it's occurring, very, very relaxing. It's not what you see on the stage where you think someone's controlling your mind. There's no such thing as that. Whether you're a stage hypnotist or a hypnotherapist such as myself, a person is always aware, always in complete control. Nothing can change or happen unless you want it to. Your brain is otherwise protecting you from things of that nature. For someone who's new to it all, I know that this stage show is a lot of people see, and then there's even group sessions. Tell us more about how it works. Well, a person has to want to be hypnotized in order to be hypnotized. We bypass the critical thinking, the critical factor, and we get to the subconscious part of the mind, which is where change, for starters, is being held up. Your brain is protecting you. It's basically saying, stop. I'm not, I don't want to change too often too quickly. And that's a good mechanism for humans. But when you want to make change, you kind of bump into that. Hypnosis melts through that very quickly. The subconscious mind, the brain wants you to be the best version of yourself, and so it, you know, it's basically going to make the change, providing it's what you want, and it's good for you. You have to get really relaxed for it to work, right? Well, no, not really. I'll tell you what, that, what, what I mean by that. Relaxation is not hypnosis. Relaxation is a benefit, a byproduct, when you do hypnosis in an individual setting. For example, if you're on stage and you're hopping around thinking you're Elvis Presley, you're not relaxed. Uh, when you're in a group session, you'll get that sense of relaxation for sure, although not quite as much because you're in those uncomfortable little banquet chairs typically. Your head is tilted forward. You can tend to get a bit of a neck ache or a back ache. When you're in an office such as mine, you spend some time at my desk uh, going over what the issues are, what you'd like to be different. When you get into the recliner, your feet are up. You've got a nice pillow behind your neck. Uh, a blanket on if you feel like it. You're in a very comfortable recliner. And so relaxation is happens, but again, it's not key to hypnosis. Filtering out all of the other influences that are going on at the time, the conscious workings of the mind. 
you get to the subconscious, and you're very focused on what you're doing. People often say to me, this is like meditation, isn't it? And I say, well, it is and it isn't. When you meditate, you also get in a very quiet setting. You get very calm. The idea is to clear your mind of everything. That's why meditation is kind of difficult. At first, you're taught to do this at very small junctures because the second you want to clear your mind of everything, of course, a million thoughts race in. Hypnosis is very easy to do. You get very quiet, very still, but the concept is to focus on the issue, and that's why it's so much easier to do. Tell us about your subconscious and how much that's running our ship and guiding our present and future actions. It's the whole ball of wax. I mean, of all the organs in our body, the one that's primarily responsible, I mean, the brain's got two messages, basically. Keep this organism alive long enough to make babies. That's the brain's function. The good news about that is that it wants you to be the best version of yourself. And so that's what we appeal to, and the brain is a willing accomplice. One of the reasons people come to see me is that the subconscious mind can get confused, especially when we're very young. So something very traumatic or benign can get stuck or misunderstood or confused by the subconscious, and then it goes into defensive mode. When a person comes in fearful of heights or crowds or uh, they're having anxiety of some sort, the brain has been locked into a defensive mode. It got confused or it, it basically thinks it's protecting you. It's basically saying, I remember that feeling when we almost fell off a roof and it's not a good feeling. So you better keep me away from that situation. And if you don't, I will. And what does it do? It throws anxiety your way or fear. And so we go to that initial event and we clean that up and the anxiety or the fear is mitigated or eliminated. The group sessions, well, what you told me, can be advantageous, but also maybe too distracting, and that's why an individual one-on-one -on -one session sometimes can be more helpful. I don't do the large group sessions. Uh, they're not as effective. They will help a little bit more than they don't. In other words, a few more than half the folks there will receive the benefits they've gone in for. And these are typically just smoking or weight loss because... If you're hypnotizing 20 or 50 or 100 people at one time, naturally it has to be the same subject matter. But you get in there and they spend a lot of time trying to sell you stuff, and that's a bit of a turnoff. You need quiet, and in those environments, someone's phone's always ringing, someone's always talking, and that's distracting. Your head tips forward and your neck can ache, that's distracting. And again, it's generic, it's not specific to you. So for all those reasons, it gets watered down. They'll enjoy a 50%, 60% success rate on a good day. The people who come to see me, you know, normally people think of us as stopping smoking and losing weight. I get about 9 out of 10 people to stop smoking. Losing weight, we get just about 100% effectiveness because the brain wants you to be better. What I deal with more than anything happens to be pain management and anxiety work. People come in to see me for all sorts of things. We help little children stop bedwetting. We help people get over their fears and phobias. The brain is, is in charge of everything, so basically, if you want something to be better, hypnosis is a very expeditious way to do it. That's awesome. I think that more people need to check into this because there's always things we want to be working on and to realize that it's really just helping you get there faster. Yeah, I'm just a guide in the process. Do you want to share the most successful story or do you have one? I've got a truckload full. The most successful experience I've had recently with pain management, it's on my website. I run the Hypnosis Center of Eau Claire, by the way. Someone called me on the phone. 
and said she was suffering from a migraine for 25 years. And I said, oh, you poor dear, you've been suffering from, from migraines for 25 years now. She said, no, I've had one for 25 years. And again, I said to her, I, I get it, you've had it mostly on for 25 years. She said, no, I've had a migraine for 25 years straight. I said, well, how in the world, for example, could you even sleep? She said, well, I've slept about two hours a night for all these years. And she talked about, you know, losing people because of it and jobs because of it. And she said, can you help me? And I said, well, we tend to help most people. Uh, it's not a guarantee, but by all means, come on in. She did. And in one 25-minute session, the pain went away. And that's a pretty common thing. But what happens typically is a couple of hours, a couple of days, the pain will come back. So we have them back in the office for a follow-up session. We do the same thing. Now they've done this a couple of times, and then we teach them to go home and do it by themselves. I don't want people coming in to see me time after time if they don't need to be. I was raised correctly. However, this woman comes back the second time, and she looked like a whole different human being. She was upright. She was dressed differently. I'm not sure I would have recognized her if I didn't had seen her a week earlier. So she darts past me. I said, well, you're having a good day, huh? She said, yeah, I'm having a great day. I said, okay. So I, she sits down. She said, let's do weight management today. I said, weight management? I said, what about the, she said, what? I said, you know, the, she said, what? It's like Laurel and Hardy talking. I said, you know, she said, you mean the, the migraine? I said, yeah. She said, it went away. And I had to pretend, truthfully, like I was shocked by that, which I was. For the moment she got out of the chair the first time, crying like a baby, which is very common when people get rid of pain, she said she had her whole forehead where she normally had kept this migraine had a hollow feeling. And she still had it when I saw her. But for her, that was, of course, a, a welcome change. I'll take this hollow feeling versus that day and night pain I was dealing with for 25 years. Now, that's pretty much a grand slam. We hit a home run a lot. Sometimes we just get you to first base on the first session. But you asked me for my most dramatic uh, experience, and recently in pain management, that was clearly it. If you could convince the brain in this particular case that that pain is not there, interrupt the pain message, it, it's gone. Wow. I think the key there is you have to believe and open to it working for you because otherwise the brain is so powerful it shuts it down from the start, correct? I hate to be in a, what seems to be in a disagreeable place here, but truthfully, skepticism does not impede hypnosis. Would it be a little bit better if you're wide open to it? No doubt. But skepticism is not an impediment. The only two things we need for hypnosis to be effective is, one, it has to be something that you want, and, two, it has to be good for you. When those two things are in place and you can follow simple instructions, it'll be effective. And my very first week of work... I had the newspaper call me for an interview. And I said, great, excellent. I've got no clients, basically. Come on over. And they came over, and they, ahead of time, they said they'd like to stage a, a photo. So my girlfriend at the time, her sister was in from the, the West Coast. I asked Karen if she would come in and uh, just stage a photo. She said, fine. She said, I'm not going to do hypnosis. I'm not, I know. She wanted to stop smoking, but she didn't want to do it this way. And I said, that's okay. I'm not trying to get you to do that. Well, the, the photographer and the reporter had me in the office first. They did a, a, a lengthy interview and said, okay, we want to take a photo now. We want to see a session. I said, well, not see a session. You just want to put somebody in a chair and take a photo. They said, no, no, no. We want to actually photograph a session. Now I got a cold sweat going because the only person I brought in was my 
girlfriend's sister who did not want to be hypnotized, who didn't believe in it and didn't want to do it. So I said to Karen, look, they want to photograph a session. Would that be okay with you? She said, well, I'm okay with that, but, you know, just for you, I'll do it. But, you know, I don't think anything's going to change. We did a stop smoking session, and this is a person who did not believe in hypnosis, who did not, did not want to stop that way, although she did want to stop smoking, and son of a gun, she stopped. <laughs> That, that's wild. Some thoughts that are coming to me, though, is that for some people in their faith and beliefs, this might seem scary. And I definitely think modern medicine, Western medicine, were such pill pushers that this holistic healing stuff kind of goes against some of that, it seems. On the first point, when I first started out, I used to get this issue more. I haven't gotten it much at all in the latter half of my practice. People are a little concerned about their religious beliefs and they think that this has got to do with the spirit world and all that sort of business. And I tell them it absolutely is not. And I give them the name of Reverend Scott Giles, who's in Chicago. He's a very famous hypnotherapist. He actually has a very thriving practice, but he also does work every weekend on three different hospitals in Chicago. This is a clergyman, and he, uh, he can often talks to folks uh, who want to give him a call. There's also a whole website, which I don't have at my committed to memory, of clergy who do hypnosis. So I tell people that this has nothing to do with that. that we don't we don't cross. You know, I don't talk to God for you. We don't connect with the other world. None of that business. I'm a, I'm a scientist. Um, so I help people understand that there's no uh, issue that you have a firm belief in your religion and that this is going to somehow be uh, problematic. A couple of things about Western medicine: doctors in this area, doctors and dentists, are either in one camp or the other. They're either familiar enough with hypnosis that they believe in it. In fact, I get a lot of my clients sent to me by doctors and dentists. Or they have not had much involvement with it, and they think it's ridiculous, and they are completely, you know, think it's don't waste your time. But as I said, I get a lot of people who are, a lot of doctors in town who send me people, a lot of dentists send me people. And an interesting anecdote here, if that's the right word, is that hypnosis really began over in Europe hundreds of years ago. In fact, it was the main anesthetic in the world before ether was invented. Once ether was invented, it kind of fell back into the shadows. Thank goodness for the stage show people, because they're the ones who kept it going. The Mayo Brothers, here's an interesting fact now. The Mayo Brothers went to Europe to uh, investigate this, and they were the ones who are predominantly responsible for bringing hypnosis to America. Most people don't know much about what I do or about hypnosis. Hopefully when they hear your podcast, they'll, uh, they'll be intrigued. They can always give me a call and just chat if they want, or they can go online now. There's lots of stuff online. But it's a wonderful modality for people young and old. I do a lot of work with athletes. I get a couple of Minnesota twins who come to see me every year before uh, spring training. I help one of the New York Yankee wives find a ring once. <laughs> you can get incredible clarity with memory. What I've learned is that our, our habits and our upbringing and obviously our genetics have a, a part of it too, but our body starts just running on autopilot a lot of times. Can you talk about that? Well, yeah. Subconscious simply means not at the level of awareness. The conscious part of the mind, where you and I are right now and your listeners are right now, the conscious mind does all the judging and the analyzing and the criticizing, all the things we're constantly doing, thinking. Everything else, the majority of what's going on, is at the subconscious level. We're not aware of it. You're not thinking right now, I have to make myself breathe, or I have to make my heart beat, 
Those involuntary actions are the best example of that. You called it autopilot. Those are good enough words. But the brain still is in charge of everything. And that's where we work. We push the subconscious aside and we get to the subconscious in a very focused way. And again, if it's what you want and it's good for you, the brain wants to make that change. The world's kind of upside down right now. There's a lot of fear and anxiety. And I know it's definitely affected your business. What are some general recommendations that you may have for people to take care of their health and to have a more positive outlook um, during some of these challenges? Well, if they come in for sessions, it, it, what I'm about to say gets much more, uh, is much more impactful, but it doesn't mean to say that a person can't take the following advice and put it to good use. Learning to live in the present moment is very important. You know, we learn from our past, we plan for our future, but the only time we ever get to live is right now. The only time we have any control over is right now. Uh, when we live in the present moment, we push worry and fear from our mind about things that may or typically don't ever happen anyway. When we live in the present moment, we're not just appreciative of the big things in our life, but the little things. So learning to live in the now, live in the present, is a skill you have to develop. It takes practice. It takes intention. When it doesn't work, you've got to be aware of that and bring your mind back to what your, your goal is, living in the present moment. Another thing is to constantly think about what you have, not what you don't have. People are worrying about money. They're worrying about health. Well, right now you've got uh, a firm footing, we hope. You've got your health, we hope. So focusing on what you have versus what you don't have is also a good strategy. And then, of course, other things like getting sunlight, getting outside fresh air, uh, doing good deeds for others. Life is a lot more easy to navigate, I think, than most people think. We have to kind of learn to get out of our own way. Favorite thing to do in Eau Claire? Well, be with my family, uh, be with my friends, practice hypnotherapy. I happen to love golfing in the uh, sunny time of the year and uh, swimming in the off-season. So, uh, you know, being social, being active, being faithful, you know, these things are, are pretty simple to do. I'm an Italian from the Bronx, so I guess I have to throw eating in there. <laughs> you bet. So what is your, the best kept secret in, in this area, Eau Claire? Well, let's see. My grandmother and great-grandmother's meatball recipe, which you're not going to give out of me. And uh, I, I think the people. I think the people in general. I think that's why we need to be out. We need to be social. I get that we're under a different plan right now. We need to have social distancing. So what can you do? You can write to people. Who, how many people get a letter once in a while? I still write letters. And that brings joy to people. Even if it's just a note to my sister that says, I was thinking about you, I love you. I talk to her every week, but I send, I send relatives a note or a letter once in a while or a card to a friend. Pick up the phone. Talk to people that you grew up with. Talk to people you see every day. Tell a few people every day you love them. What I would suggest is, is be social. Even at a time when out of necessity, we should not be so social. Don't let that bum you out. It's what you have to do for yourself, your family, and your community. So make the best of it. Awesome. Thanks so much. I see us doing this again. So much value, and I really appreciate your time and everything that you're doing to try to make other people's lives better. If you're interested in a session with Rich, we'll get the information out to you here. But he's right in Banbury in downtown Eau Claire. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you, and we'll be in touch.
great interview. Yes. Um, you know, you, you talked a little bit before the interview and being hypnotized and how it made you feel mm -hmm. aware, but maybe not, so kind of medicated. Right. The closest I came to being hypnotized is wisdom teeth. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, yeah. So four boys, every time we got to that age where the wisdom teeth had to come out, Patty, my mom, would bring us in, they put us under, and then all of us, you know, I just remember kind of coming out of this, and she was in the waiting room waiting, like, how you doing? <laughs> so I was kind of aware, but kind of not, and that was her opportunity to kind of Q&A me on did stuff. She, did she I, get something out of you? I was aware enough to <laughs> no, you shouldn't answer. make sure I shouldn't answer, so. Not answer but, the truth, right? Correct. <laughs> So, again, another reason for Jerry not to be hypnotized. Yeah, so. yeah. That interview was very interesting, and you can see why people go to someone like Rich to kind of help them through difficult things that are going on with yeah, well, It's an alternative. Yeah. It's an alternative to get past something and, you know, having success in one or two right. sessions versus maybe a lifetime. So. Right. Good. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on Eau Claire is Here, and you should be too. Peace out. Peace. If you enjoyed the Eau Claire is Here podcast, be sure to subscribe and then give us a five-star rating and write a review. That's the best way to get this podcast in front of as many people as possible.